Alright man, this is episode number 67 of the Cozy Corner of Cinema. This is being recorded on Saturday, July 8th, 2023 at 1.38pm. The morning started off pretty cloudy and apparently it's going to thunderstorm later on today, but it looks pretty sunny out right now, I gotta say. Perfect time to be outside, to be reading, to be getting some physical activities, man. Beautiful days like these, man, you really want to take advantage of. And I say that all the time, but truly, man, you don't want to pass on days like these and just sit around and do nothing and, you know, wonder why you didn't get anything done, you know? Unless that's what you want to do, man, then, you know, you sit around, you do nothing, and if that's just going to fulfill you, then you do it, man. You're the leader of your own life. No point uh, doing anything you don't want to do if you don't need to do it, man. Well, we're already in the uh, first quarter of July, man, and that Criterion sale is going on at Barnes & Noble right now, and also uh, on Amazon for the most part. I believe that Amazon matches almost all the titles. An acquaintance of mine said that there were some that they weren't, but I, I don't. he didn't give me any specific titles, so I'm, I'm not really sure about that. Um, yeah, man, I, I ended up grabbing a couple titles the other, uh, the other day or so. I really don't like to shop in person. I'm more of just buying titles online. You have a bigger uh, selection to choose from. You know, you're not, you don't got to worry about driving and parking and, you know, walking all the way through the store, getting to it, man. It's just, I'm just totally over all that stuff, man. But, uh, I did end up going into Barnes & Noble just out of curiosity, uh, you know, and I ended up grabbing a couple titles, not going too crazy, you know, when I was, uh, you know, years ago, I'd, I'd buy stacks and stacks of Blu-rays and stuff, and, uh, you know, I'd still love to, but, you know, with uh, some stuff going on, you know, got to save up for uh, some, you know, future stuff down the line, I'm doing some traveling later this year, so got to save some money for that, so I didn't go too crazy, they didn't have exactly what I was looking for, but I did grab a couple titles, I grabbed that Michael Haneke set of um, The Seventh Continent, Benny's video, and the third film, which I'm blanking on the name on. I've only seen The Seventh Continent. Um, Benny's video was one that uh, was a little uh, tricky to find for, for a while, and then an acquaintance of mine gave me his um, login for the Criterion channel, and I was like, oh, that's great. You know, Benny's video's on there. I, I'm going to watch that, and I never did. But now I got it, man. But I talked about The, the Seventh Continent may have actually been the first film I talked about on the show all the way back in March 2022. Um, and I think it's just a brilliant film. Michael Haneke is just such an interesting filmmaker, and uh, it's a very uh, uh, downbeat, uh, nihilistic sort of film, but very powerful stuff, man. Just the way that he directs it is so great. I also ended up grabbing two uh, Melville films, Jean-Pierre Melville. I grabbed uh, Le Samurai, uh, which I've never seen before, man. I don't. It's one of these films that I, uh, I always hear discussed in the French New Wave, and I'm just like, why have I not watched that yet? So now I got that, and Army of Shadows. Um, which as well, I don't, I don't know how much Mel will have seen, but I definitely want to be on those two. There were some other titles I wanted to grab, they just didn't have, man. I was really, I wanted to finally grab the Blu-ray of Vivre Savi from uh, Jean-Luc Godard. I watched that recently on TCM, I recorded that, and um, what a terrific film, man. I thought that was so fantastic. Um, it's definitely you know, probably, you know, top five Godard right there, man. I, I thought it was really great, and you know, a little while ago I was wondering, had I seen his uh, sophomore film, Le Petit Soldat, and I hadn't. I, I have the criterion of that, but it's still sealed, so I must have not watched it. Um, it's like, you know, some of these films, they end up uh, uh, kind of blending together uh, in a way. You know, I remember I would get certain of his films mixed up um, that, that felt a little similar. But either way, Viva Savvy will be picked up at some point soon. And like I was saying last time, I definitely want to get that Norman Mailer um, DVD set. That's, uh, you know, I think I'm definitely going to be grabbing that for the end of the month, as well as the two titles I talked about, two of the criterias I talked about on the last Blu-ray episode, um, the Bud Bedeker Western box set, 
and After Hours on 4K. Those will be picked up absolutely, undoubtedly. And um, usually I think Arrow has their sale as well, but I don't think it's started yet or they're doing something different. I could have sworn they, they had their sales in July as well as Criterion, but uh, when I was looking up some titles, they weren't on sale because it's definitely a couple box sets I, I'd love to get on. Um, you know, the Shellscope Volume 2 and especially the Lucas Moodison set is what I really want to grab. I've been having my eye on that for a while, but I didn't really want to pay $75, $80 for it. But that'll be bought in due time. That'll definitely be in the conscious of when the opportunity arises to get it at a cheaper price. Because he's a filmmaker I find so interesting. And I've only seen one of his films, which is Fucking Amal, which I talked about for my 1998 episode, which I thought was a really uh, touching coming-of-age story. Um, but some of his other films... I've always known about films like um, Lilia uh, Forever, which I always hear talked about in terms of like these... like. People talk about most disturbing films and stuff, but I just am looking at it more from a drama perspective. I don't really care about most disturbing films or anything like that. Or trying to. When I was younger, I tried to do a lot of that. I try to see every film that was considered like you know controversial or disturbing. And I think I've seen about uh, most of them. I would say I don't. You know, any anytime I see people talk about a film being disturbing or upsetting or anything like that, I usually have already seen it. You know, but that's one that I haven't seen. So that'll be watched. In due time, of course. Um, yeah, man, so make sure you're getting on these titles. I'm sure there, you know, there's endless videos and people online can give you tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of recommendations for plenty of great films from Criterion and Arrow and Vinegar Sync just had their uh, a subscriber week this week, so I ended up grabbing a couple titles I didn't previously own. Um, I didn't grab a whole lot. I grabbed uh, Six String Samurai, which is a VSU title. I've heard mixed things about but I'm curious to get it. I really like those box sets they do. I, I, I think I, I only own a couple of them. I own Beastmaster, uh, Roadhouse, and um, Cloak and Dagger. And I'm a big fan of all three of those films. Cloak and Dagger especially was such a great uh, surprise. I knew Brian Sauer uh, was a big fan of that film. And um, I remember I saw that around the same time that I had seen The Last Starfighter. And I got those two mixed up. I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't get them mixed up, but I associated them with each other, because it's these 80s films about, the, about like, you know, these kids playing games and stuff, much in line with the film, like, War Games, with Matthew Broderick, which I, I'm a big fan of, and Ali Sheedy, um, but, you know, Last Starfighter was cool, I, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a good film, but Cloak and Dagger, I, uh, I just really thought was great, uh, you know, that was just totally, and I was surprised, I, I'd heard of it before, I knew it was, a. Uh, kind of a cult film, but actually seeing it, especially on that beautiful 4K, I think Vinegar Syndrome are one of the top companies in terms of their transfers that, that they're doing, them and like Blue Underground, I think their, their transfers are really second to none from any other uh, label going. But uh, either way, yeah, so the, that is over now though, but you know, they always have these big kind of events, but uh, I also got to know a title, which uh, I guess I'll talk about a little bit in terms of a film that I watched last night. And um, I'm going to pull this up right here, actually. You know, I always talk about, I always say I'm going to talk about certain things, and then when push comes to shove, I'm never prepared. And I don't want to keep constantly pausing and, uh, you know, restarting, because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Yeah, I also grabbed uh, from, let's see, this company, Circle Collective. I grabbed the double feature of these two films directed by Aaron Katz, uh, Quiet City and Dance Party USA. Uh, Aaron Katz directed a film I like a lot 
from 2010 called Cold Weather. And there's an actor in that film who, when I saw that film, I'd seen him in, two, in like two other films around that time that I was like, this guy's so good. I barely, you know, how is he popping up in all these films? It's this actor, Raul Castillo, or Castillo, I'm not sure how to say his name. But I saw him in two films around the same time as I watched Cold Weather. Actually, I'm sorry, three films. Um, the Inspection from last year, uh, which was very good. I actually think that's a really terrific film. Great character study about a gay man who is feeling out of place in the world and ultimately doesn't know what to do. He's very, very isolated and joins the military because he feels that he has an obligation to himself to do that. It's a terrific film that went very underseen last year with a great lead performance by Jerry Pope. But uh, but he was also in Chog Chow Real Smooth from director, um, what the hell's his name? Cooper Rafe. I thought it was a great film, man. And it's unfortunate that it's an Apple TV film because unless you have Apple TV, it's probably not going to get a physical release. I had seen this film theatrically and I heard good things about his uh, debut film, I think it was called Shithouse or Doghouse or what was it called? Shithouse, that's right. I heard very good things about it, so I definitely get on that. I've heard it's actually better than Chalk Chow Real Smooth. And the other film that I had seen him in, well, he's also in the film Hustle from 2022, which I liked quite a bit. But We the Animals from 2018, which I watched for the 2018 episode, which was a total surprise, man. I, I thought it was a really, really solid film. He plays a, a father who is, a, you know, a, a very complicated character. He can be very cruel and demeaning, but then kind and charismatic. He's a terrific actor, man. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent there. It seems to be the pattern of the show. But he was in that film, Cold Weather. And I think I'd seen that film after I'd seen those ones. And I was just like, ah, oh, that's great. He's showing up in this. And it's a, I mean, Cold Weather is a very low-key film, man. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery comedy that has a serious kind of subject. But it, it, it's interesting the way that it does it. Because as this guy's ex-girlfriend goes missing, and the way the film plays out, it's almost nonchalant in a way. It's got a very relaxed sort of style to it, sort of feeling. I should, I should also say it's written um, by Brandon McFadden and Ben Stambler. But um, I watched that film, I don't even know, I think I watched it on like some free service or anything like that. Something like that. Because I heard Brian Sauer talk about it, and he'd been a big fan of it. And uh, he really turned me on to that. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested in his other two works. Uh, or his other works, I should say, in this collection of Quiet City and Dance Party USA. I really know nothing about them, but I really enjoy... You know, I really... Uh, in, I found myself enjoying a lot of these mumblecore-type films, which, for the most part, there's something about them I just find really engaging. Uh, I really like the relaxed, nonchalant attitude, the seemingly plotless films, which I don't give a damn about the plot if the film is good itself, man, if I'm enjoying these characters, but last night I watched one of um, Andrew Bujalski's, is that how you say his name? B Bujalski? I watched one of his films uh, from 2016, oh, I'm sorry, 2014. Uh, this film, Listen Up, Philip, and I think I've seen, I'm sorry, <laughs> not Andrew, I'm getting my people much up, it's Alex Ross Perry. I apologize. I'm associating all these kind of guys together, but Alex Ross Perry also did a film that I liked from 2017, which was technically a 2018 film. He did this film, Golden Exits, which I liked quite a bit, and he's done a couple other films, like Her Smell, uh, also from 2018, which I didn't get an opportunity to watch 
and he also has done other films like Queen of Earth and The Color Wheel. But I watched this film last night because in relation, I was thinking about the work of Andrew Bukowski uh, in context, because it's a lot of the same actors that appear in a lot of these films. Jason Schwartzman, Elizabeth Moss is doing a lot of these films. Um, what the hell's that actor's name? Jess Wexler, uh, Keith Polson, who are actually both in the film that I think is actually pretty good that I don't really hear talk about, is uh, this film from 2012 called Somebody Up There Likes Me. Very low-key uh, comedy. You also have, like, Caitlin Scheel, who's been in, like, a bunch of stuff. If, if, I mean, she, I don't think a lot of horror fans play know her, too. She's been in stuff like You're Next and um, uh, uh, The Sacrament. and uh, Anyways, but, yeah, these kind of films I find myself all they attracted to, in a way. I, I, I'm not really sure why. That, that film that I was talking about earlier this year that I, I watched, I think, on the first day of January this year, was that film Something Anything. I watched it on movie, and it was just a total surprise. It was such a touching and romantic and just heartfelt film and um, that I just don't hear that no one's talking about you know I the the director I don't know I haven't seen anything else that he's done and I don't think he's done a whole lot but that was one of these films that I watched that I just it just really stuck with me just certain moments and the lead performance by actor Ashley Shelton I shall say the, the director's name is Paul Harrell and um it was it was hard to find uh, some of his yeah, any any kind of like contact of any any of his work you know in terms of like he has other work but you know it was kind of difficult to come across he he did a follow up film from 2019 called Light from Light which I'm not familiar with um, and he's done a bunch of shorts before this but yeah all these all these sort of films I I, I just find so interesting um, some obviously I think are stronger than others like I was saying with Angie Bujalski is that I recently got his film. Uh, funny haha from I don't know who put that out. That was one of the Vinegar Syndrome OCN titles, one of their partner label titles, and I, I it's just such a great film. I'm a big fan of that film, um, and I think I've, I think I like almost all of his films that I've seen, and I think I've seen almost all of them. So he directed Funny Haha in 2002, which actually was released in 2005, and he also did a film Mutual Appreciation, which I haven't seen. Um, then in 2009, I'm only talking about his feature films, not any of his uh, shorts or uh, anything else that he's done. Yeah, mutual appreciation, I'm going to have to get on that. I would like to watch that. 2009, he did a film Beeswax, which I think is alright. I'm not the biggest fan of that film, but it's got some good moments in that. Uh, Computer Chess from 2013, which almost feels like a film directed by... Um, i got to look up the name, I apologize. Uh, by Matt Johnson director of uh, The Dirties, uh, Operation Avalanche, and um, uh, Blackberry. Um, it feels like that kind of observational, almost mockumentary way. But that's an interesting film as well. Uh, and then he did the film Results in 2015 with Guy Pearce uh, and Colby Smulders, and who is the third actor in that? I'm blanking on the name. And Kevin Corrigan, that's right. He's talked about him recently. And then he did the film Support the Girls in 2018, which I really liked. Um, I just thought that was such a interesting and an enjoyable comedy drama with a great lead performance by Regina Hall. Uh, just really terrific stuff. And Haley Lou Richardson, I've talked about a bunch on the show. She's, she's becoming one of my favorite actors up and coming. I've talked about the, her film Montana story before that she did with Owen Teague, and uh, it's just such a shame that it is still, like, I've just, I don't hear anyone talking about that film, and it's so, so good. It was, like, my my second or third favorite film of 2021, or 2022, I'm sorry. 
And she was also an after Yang, which I, I talked about, which made my top 10 of 2021. But anyways, yeah, I, I, I went off on a whole other thing there. But anyways, on, on the complete flip side, I want to talk about a film that I rewatched recently. I've been on a, another Christopher Nolan kick, uh, you know, with the upcoming release of Oppenheimer in a couple weeks. I've mentioned before, I got my tickets for that. Got in IMAX, and what I'm especially looking forward to is the 70mm IMAX projection. That's going to be fantastic. Um, so I've been on a kick of rewatching some of his recent work. I, I had rewatched Dunkirk again, um, and I think that's just a brilliant film. I think it's probably my, my favorite of his work. It's the strongest, I believe, and it's some of his strongest directorial work. Uh, and I rewatched The Prestige. Fantastic. Great stuff. Interstellar. Fantastic. I mean, the thing with that is, uh, it, it's, uh, it's one of these films that it's, it, I think it does suffer a little bit with the script at times with some of the characters, but ultimately it's a, just an amazing adventure. But the film is his most recent work that has been, I think, divisive, but to me has been rewarding on every viewing that I've seen it. It's this 2020 film, Tenet, which I've not talked about in the show before, and it's, it's an interesting contrast, somewhat unintentional, to talk about these low-key mumblecore type films made with little plots, little budgets, and uh, more about the characters, then this is the complete opposite. This is a big budget studio film, less about the characters, more about the plot and the spectacle and the strong script. But what's interesting about this film is that of all of his work, this is what I find to be the most divisive and transgressive, where this came out during the middle of the COVID pandemic when theaters were just reopening. You know, I had to drive to a, uh, uh, about an hour out of the way to go see this in an IMAX. Uh, the IMAX that I saw, Dial of Destiny in, which wasn't even a full-size IMAX, but it was better than seeing it on a traditional screen. And I had such a great experience. And I every time I have gone back to this film... I have found myself loving it more and more, where this is creeping up to being top three favorite of my top three favorite of Nolan's work. Because the thing with the film is that one of the things that I find so unique with Nolan's work, and I've said it before, is that he's working on a $100 million budget. These are big studio films with big studio, you know, Hollywood casks. But the risks that he's taking and the filmmaking choices that he's taking, I feel like no one else, maybe besides Denis Villeneuve, if that's how you say his name, is taking. Whereas, like, you know, even though I'm not, like, a big... I wasn't really crazy about his, his you know, first Dune film, but I thought I was watching, I'm like, yeah, th this is, like, a cool... This is a cool film, man. And I think Blade Runner 2049 is fantastic, but these really filmmaker-driven films that are not just disposable where I think Tenet is so unique in what it's doing. It's not, you know, to, to, to break down, I guess, some the the plot of the film, if I can, you know, is that we have this character played by John David Washington, who is just a protagonist, intentionally so. You know, the film is about the plot, not the characters. And basically, he is he is on this force from, the, this, this secret force, where they have discovered time inversion, where these objects are coming back and, but not it's not time travel. So, for example, in the film, is that, you know, if he shoots a gun, the bullet is inverted in time. So when he shoots it, he's catching it in the middle of time. 
And what the film does is essentially has two timelines going at once. And what's interesting is that when you get halfway through the film, the film actually goes to the other timeline. It's a film that, for as much spectacle and as much money is on screen, I think the script is really strong in this. I think the attention to detail and when you go and watch it again, you're not just watching it for a better understanding. Because ultimately this is going to be a polarizing film, like I think it was for a lot of people. You can watch it again and get more out of the film from a narrative standpoint. But the film is so strongly directed, and Nolan's camera work is so exciting, that even if you're not totally engaged with the script, I think on a shallow level, visually what's on screen is something that I don't really see in very many recent action films. Besides, you know, there's obvious examples of, of recent action films with specifically great camera work. I mean, popular the John Wick films or like Mad Max Fury Road or even something like, like Top Gun Maverick where the action sequences are so well directed in all these films that it actually feels exhilarating and, and much like the same way here. And especially because they're dealing with time inversion, the tricks that they have to do with that. There's two sequences in the film, two action sequences I think are brilliant. Um, I mean, I guess technically it would be three action sequences, but the first of which is when uh, the protagonist is fighting another character who is inverted. So I'm watching the film and I'm enjoying it, but I'm also thinking in the back of my head the choreography that must have gone into this where to make it seem like this character is moving back in time on top of actual special effects trickery where there are just some things like a character flying against a wall that is impossible to do. You obviously have to use some trickery, but I'm watching, I'm like, I don't even know how you would orchestrate something like this. It's much in the same way where if you watch a great martial arts film and you see these chaotic movements and you're just like, how do you even put this together? If you guys watched my, or listened to my 1934 episode, I was talking about that film, Dames. I'm, I'm talking about the choreography and those terrific ballet sequences. And I'm just thinking, I wouldn't even know where to start with something like this, man. It's so engaging. But the other sequence in this film is a, a fantastic car chase, man. Because now, not only are you dealing with an already great car chase. You're dealing with time inversion with these other cars that are crashing, that are flipping, and it's so exciting. And I think this film, unfortunately, you know, I don't think this was the right film to release during a time when it wasn't going to be fully examined and appreciated because most people, even when this film came out, were still uncomfortable with going back to the cinema. But let me tell you guys, when, that, when the cinemas reopened, I was on that, like, white on rice, man. I was, I was eager, eager to get back to the cinema. And um, I do think that the pressure that was put on studios and especially on this film to be the film to draw people back, is, it was, was not a good choice. Because ultimately with this film is that I don't think there was enough... One, I don't think there was enough attention being drawn on this film. Because you see the trailer and it's very vague with the plot because it's a film that it's not easy to summarize the plot because there is a lot going on. I mean, at, at its core, yes, it's about a character who has to stop the antagonist from get, from getting this piece and basically taking over. You can't really convey that in a two-minute trailer, but you can convey the spectacle and the exciting action sequences, but ultimately, you know, I keep saying ultimately, I think this film should have been delayed about a year. In 2021, when people were getting more comfortable with going back to the cinema, you know, when theaters were reopening on a mass scale, you know, because when I'm looking, I looked at the theaters that were opening around, you know, some were opening up 
far earlier than others. So now you're sitting on these films that you can say that it's a bomb or it didn't do well, but ultimately... I apologize, keep saying ultimately. Try not to. But when you watch, you know, when, when you see the numbers coming back and you say, oh, this one's not doing well, this one's not doing well, it's like, okay, well, it's only because a couple hundred or some thousand are open like that. And by that time, people may not be interested or may not be in the public conscious, you know? I think releasing something that would probably appeal on a wider scale rather than a film that's heavy on the script, in this case, I don't think that was a great choice. And ultimately, war- <laughs> now I'm fully aware, man. Now every time I say that, I'm aware of it, so I'm trying not to. But Warner Brothers did drop the ball on this release, and I don't blame Nolan for... I think he brought this... I think he brought Oppenheimer to Universal, from what I can remember. But, yeah, Warner Brothers, they dropped the ball on it that whole same day on HBO to theatrical. I thought it was absolute nonsense. I understand that at first, when theaters weren't opening, or people were still skeptical about going to the cinema, I understand that. Even if you wanted to release a handful of films, you know, maybe not same day, but in a shorter window period, I got no problem with that. I understand. Obviously, people have different circumstances. People have different comfortability. Comfortability. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I get that. But their strategy of an entire year of same-day theatricals has since, in my opinion, has had a massive impact on the state of theatrical cinema. Because now... The window is shorter and shorter and shorter. Where, when I saw like a film like Fast X already pop up on available to rent at home, I think that's such a bad precedent for the financials of films going forward, man. Where, you know, I recommended somebody to dial a Destiny recently, and their first question was, "Is it streaming anywhere?" And I said, "No." You know, it's like it's a film that. I said I, I really enjoyed. I thought it was a lot of fun, and that opening twenty minutes was so much fun on a big screen. Um, now I understand, you know, people may not even be a fan of the cinema. I'm not a big fan of the uh, of like a lot of big cinema chains because you know mostly just for the content. You know, I love going to the cinema. I love the experience going to the cinema, uh, but but the the content being put out has been has really what's been turning me off. But I, I'll always go to the cinema. Regardless, I don't care, you know. I'll I'll find a way. I'll I'll, I'll see something, you know. I'm I'm not gonna watch some nauseating superhero film, but you know if I see a, a theater like an hour away that's playing a film um, that I'm interested in, I'll go. Okay, I'm gonna go to that, you know. But we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens when, uh, if if numbers you know decline or they improve, because the thing is that it's it's not always the case. You know, you look at films that have come out this year. And you look at like uh, like the Mario film was made just a boatload of money, and and Oppenheimer and Barbie are on track to make a load of money. So I do think that, you know, we're 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 going to be fine in the long run. But I do think studios not standing by the director's visions in this case specifically Warner Brothers not standing by Nolan is is really going to hurt them in the long run in terms of the content being put out. But with that said, yeah, t- Tenant highly recommended. I think it's one of the most exciting and interesting films of recent memory. I think Nolan is one of the one of the strongest filmmakers working, in my opinion, ever. I think he's one of the strongest filmmakers ever, but I understand that his work may not be for everybody. But check these films out. They're all good. Use your time wisely. It's a beautiful day out. There's still going to be some sunlight out for a while, so take advantage of it while you can. 
and catch up on whatever it is you need to catch up on. In this case, I got plenty of writing accomplished, reading will have to be accomplished, and watching will have to be accomplished. So that'll all get done in due time. But make sure you're doing well, make sure you're eating well, drinking well, drinking water, keep yourself hydrated, eating well, get your uh, protein in, all that good stuff. That's all I got to say, guys. Be back next week. Thank you for listening to another episode.